0: Here's a theme that's happened in the story of the Jews, is the fact that they loved God and then they fell away from him, right? They, re, they, they uh, rebelled against him and then they suffered consequences, like we all have consequences when we do things wrong. Then they repented and then they were restored in relationship and time and time again, Todd's talked about it, Tyler's talked about it, Christy's talked about it, how God's unfailing love continues to forgive them and so that's a theme today too. So in the story, we find the Jewish people. They've been taken over by the Babylonians and subject to their kings. They were exiled. They were were taken out of their land. And so this is where we find where the story begins. Now, I want to caution you. There's no way in 25 minutes we can talk effectively about Nehemiah. Next week, week 26, in Tracing the Thread, talks about Nehemiah. So I want to encourage you while you're on break, break that open if you haven't already and read this story um, from that perspective. Okay? We good? So here we go. We find in chapter one, Nehemiah is a regular guy. He's just like you or I. Um, and he was an official to the, to the king, King Artaxerxes. And so he finds himself in the city of Susa. Um, this is about 150 miles east of the Tigris River. It would be what is today, modern day Iran. Okay? So Nehemiah served as a cupbearer. And if you don't know what a cupbearer is, the name gives it away. If back then, if you wanted to kill a king... You poisoned his drink. So the king said, I'll just have people take a sip, kind of double dip on my behalf. They'll taste it. If they live, it's good to drink. If they die, it's not good to drink. Pretty simple? Okay. So now we also talk about he's in the service of the king. Keep in mind, service isn't like you're going to serving Kid KidQuest or Westridge Kids. Service you're a slave and you're serving. So he didn't want to do this. He was forced to do this like the rest of them. So he was an ordinary guy serving the king, but because of the way he served, right, and it's not what he did, but how he did it, and because of his devotion for God, he found favor in the eyes of the king. So the king actually had liked him and allowed to elevate him. So very early in the story, in chapter 1, his brother comes to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah just basically says, hey, what's going on with the family? What's happening to our people back in Jerusalem? And the report that his brothers give them They tell him that the people are ashamed that they're without hope and that the walls are reduced to rubble and that the gates are torn down, burned down, and dismembered. And this wrecks Nehemiah. It literally wrecks him. And so next what we find is the way Nehemiah responded to hearing about his family, to hearing about everybody that he held dear to. And so he began by weeping and he he began by praying. And the way he prayed looks different than maybe the way that we pray. And in fact, he started out praying by praising God. And then he went into confessing sin, confessing his sin and the sins of his people, right? And then he started to reassure God what his promises are. He claimed what God said in his word, and he called that back to God in his prayer. And then he began to intercede on behalf of the people back in Jerusalem. He began to intercede on what God has broken his heart for. And the last is he started fasting. And we think of praying, well, okay, he did a five-minute prayer. When you read the scripture, he had prayed for four months. He didn't act. He prayed. He waited four months till God opened a door. So day in, day out for four months long, he prayed, he fasted, he wept, The same order for his people. Then as we get into chapter 2, it says that we find Nehemiah before the king. So Nehemiah was bringing wine to the king. And so when the king saw him, he said, Nehemiah, something's up with you. Your face, it's downcast. You look sad. You're not sick. Why are you sad? And so Nehemiah is scared to death, and he prays, and then he shares with the king, it's about my people back in Jerusalem. They're without hope. Everything's torn down. Everything's broken down. And so God, this is so cool to watch, God prompts the king to ask him, what do you want? Basically, you're telling me what's wrong with your people. What do you want me to do about it? And so Nehemiah just throws out a big, bold ask, and he does it in pieces. First of all, he says, would you send me to rebuild my city? And the king asks him, how long are you going to be gone? So Nehemiah tells him. And so then he asks, he says, not only can you send me, but well, will you give me letters to give me safe passage through the different countries? And the king list, listens to him and he said, would you also give me letters to the guy that owns your forest, that ho- controls your forest, to give me lumber to rebuild the gates and lumber to build a home? And so the king listens and the king gives him everything he asked for, plus more. The king actually sends an army with him. And so this is an example of God's favor. Nehemiah was faithful to God, and God's continuing to be faithful to him. But here's 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 the twist to it. Not everybody's happy. We find in in verse 210, there's a couple dudes named Sam the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. They were not happy at all. They were a little salty that he was coming in and acting on behalf of the Jews. So fast forward, Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, and after being there three days, at night, he goes out, and he's going to inspect by himself, basically, goes out, and he inspects the gates. He goes as far as he can around to see how bad it is it, because you can't figure out how to rebuild something until you first figure out how it is, right? When he gets back, he had told nobody yet. He shares with the with the officials there, hey, this is what God has told me to do, and then he shares with them, this is the favor that I've found in God already, and so... The nobles respond and say, let's get busy, let's start. Let's not talk about it, let's not pray about it, let's jump on it. So they respond. But then, like any good drama, Samballa, Tobiah, and Gershom began to mock them. They began to ridicule him. And so Nehemiah didn't give in to that. He didn't play, he didn't fight with them. What he did is he went and prayed. And so in chapter 3, we see about the wall being built. It talks about who all pitched in, where they worked, how they got to it. Up until chapter 3, verse 5, is the first time internally we start to see some folks pushing back. And I've got to put on old folks' glasses here for a second. But in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, They were in uh, Tekoa, but the nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervision. Basically, the people that he was there trying to help, even some people thought they were too good to help out on there. But that didn't discourage Nehemiah. They continued to work. They continued to be focused, right? So then in chapter 4, the wall's being built. It's getting about halfway. And then Samballot and his boys heard about the proceedings. They became very, very angry. Before, they were just trash-talking them. Now they're starting to take it up a notch on there. So they began to ridicule them. They began to stir up trouble amongst the workers on there. Um, And they did this not just by themselves. They did it in the presence of the army. That would be modern day today where they put it on Facebook, right? They Snapchatted it. They Instagrammed it. They put a billboard up so that everybody could see that they were talking about them. Again, the same thing. Nehemiah's response was not to push back, not to engage him at the level they were. Nehemiah's response was to go to God in prayer. And then while they were doing that, And Sam Ballot was talking about them. He says, are you going to rebuild in one day? Can you bring these stones back to life? And then he's got his boy next to him named Tobiah, who's kind of like his sidekick. I just can picture this little punk there that's just not bad enough to do it himself, but he's got to be with somebody else. And he says, what are they building? If a fox climbs up on it, it will crumble. Like, that's just totally trash talking to a builder. I'm a construction guy. You want to talk about my project, you're going to make me mad, okay? Okay. But they didn't invent the trash-talking. It's been happening for ages, right? So Nehemiah prays, and Nehemiah and the laborers go back to work, and they build the walls to about half its height. But then ridicule returns. Sam Ballot and the others get even madder. They turn up the insults, and they begin to threaten them a little more. And the Jewish people responded in prayer and prevention. Mark Batterson His there's the pray the circle and uh, draw the circle. He talks about we got to work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on God. That's what Nehemiah does here. Nehemiah prays, but he also stations people in the gaps on the wall with swords and spears. So if they come at him, they're prepared for that. But they rely on the prayer, but they also do the work. So then God shows up. He frustrates the plan of Sam Ballot and the others. And the here's here's. Here's a tagline that comes through there. They're working with one hand, and Scripture tells us they have their sword strapped to their other hand. So in other words, they're, they're building right now, but if somebody comes up, they're ready to draw a sword. They, did, they weren't playing. They found themselves spread out doing the work, and Nehemiah then positioned people along the gaps with a horn and basically says, listen, if they come at us, we're going to blow a horn. Let's all rally to where the horn is so we can fight together. Guys, this is an example right now. When, you ever hear the word standing in the gap for somebody? This is standing in the gap. There were gaps in the wall, and they put people in those positions there so that they can intercede on behalf. That's what small groups are for. We're there to stand in the gap with each other. That's what our breakout groups are for. Not here to, to mess around, but how do we really lean in for each other? Chapter 5, real quickly, there's some internal trouble. Some folks are charging interest to the others, and they're all hungry, and they're all, they're all kind of getting a little, little tired. And so basically, Nehemiah says, hold on. He brings everybody together and said, it's not right for you to make money off of them when we're all building for the same thing. And so all the people gather and say, listen, we won't do that anymore. And they get back to the business of building the wall. In chapter 6, we're coming to an end here. Chapter 6, as the wall's being finished, our boys show up again. Sam Belt and Tobiah and the rest of the guys took a different approach. So knowing that they couldn't discourage them, they couldn't talk bad about them, what they said is, come on, let's meet over in this plain over here, and let's talk together. Now, Nehemiah knew that they, they intended harm for him. So four times they asked Nehemiah. Four times Nehemiah says, no, why would I take time away from here when God's called me to do this work? So on the fifth time, they sent an open letter. And so when you're looking at the scripture, like, why does it say there's an open letter? And so reading back then, if, if two nobles were going to send each other a letter... They would send it and they would wrap it in a bag, almost like a velvet bag, almost like a, like a crown royal bag, if you know what that is. I mean, that's how your letter would come. But here, he sends them an open bag, an open letter. And basically, that's saying, you're not, you're not on the same level as me. You're lower than me. And so in that, he stirs up a bunch of lies and Nehemiah prays. And this didn't work for Sambalot either. So then Sambalot actually hires a nobleman on his side, right, on the Jewish side, he hires this nobleman to try to get Sam Bell, or I'm sorry to get Nehemiah to go hide in the house of God. Basically pull away from the work he's doing and to hide in fear of those guys. And and just like last week when Christy was talking and talking about Esther, there was a tagline in Esther, if you guys remember, it says, For such a time as this, right? And she said, If I perish, I perish. Well, in the book of Nehemiah, kind of the tagline there, when Nehemiah's response when he's called to go hide, he said, why should a man like I run away? Meaning God's called me, God's equipped me, God's empowered me, why should I run? God's already got my back and I'm doing his will. So in 52 days, the rubble that was torn down and burned is restored. The gates that were burned were replaced and all their bars and bolts and everything set in. But, and here's the thing to recognize, Balat and Tobiah and the rest didn't stop their assaults. They kept coming. So Nehemiah set in place some measures to protect. And so what he said is at night, until the sun is hot in the day, the doors of the gates are to be shut. Nobody goes in, nobody goes out. And then he and Ezra commit to teach the people about the law of God. Right? So they educate people on God's law. So this is kind of that cycle that we talked about before, right? They knew God, they rebelled from God, they repented from God, and they restored in God. So here we go, we find in them that uh, Nehemiah and Ezra are teaching them about God's word. So they're hearing it, they're understanding it, and then they repented and confessed their sins, and they agreed to hold to God's law and inhabit the land. Now, the Old Testament can be confusing. And so chapter 9 in, in Nehemiah is a great summary chapter. If you want to say, well, what is the, like the time from Abraham to Nehemiah? What's the sequence look like? I want to encourage you to read chapter 9 of Nehemiah. It gives you a great summary on that. So this really is, at the best of my ability, the quickest overview of Nehemiah, Nehemiah that I could give you. Um, but I want to dive into a couple quick things, as we only have about 15 minutes left. And number one, when we look at Nehemiah, we want to look at how he responded. And first he responded in brokenness. And when I wrote this, I didn't see that video that was being shown tonight of that family. But... You know, when, when you see something like that, if that doesn't break you a little, you might want to check your pulse there for a second. I mean, that's, that's some bad stuff. But chapter 1, when Nehemiah's brother shared with him about the state of Jerusalem, it wrecked him. You know, when was the last time you were wrecked for somebody? When was the last time that you come alongside either somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your school, somebody on your team? Maybe who's the person at school that everybody picks on? Or maybe there's a, there's a special needs kid there, Right? And when you look at them, you're like, ah, man, that just ain't right. You know, what do I do with that, right? What, how do I handle that? So you got to ask yourself, if you're going to be used by God, when's that last time that you have a brokenness for something? We live in a world that's pretty jacked up right now. But until we're, there, there's a saying out there, you can be nose blind, right? Anybody have like a really stinky car? We actually have one. Um, I don't know what it is, but, but when you get in it, I don't smell it anymore because I become nose blind to it. But when other people get in, they're like, man, there's something funky in here. And we become nose blind to people when we start to not be in proximity to them. I want to challenge you, as as you're thinking of this story, who is it that God's breaking your heart for? Number two, Nehemiah responded with prayer. And he didn't just pray for the people. We heard he wept for them. He interceded for them, meaning he lifted them up in prayer. He fasted for them. He confessed the sins and the sins of his family. And he did it for four months. And so one of the questions I'd ask is, who are you praying for? And how long are you praying? And, and, and here's a point. There's a difference between finishing and quitting. And, and your age group gets a bad rap from people like me. Because they look at you and they say, you guys, you guys can't stick with anything for too long. But think about it. If I quit something or I finish something, they both have a stopping point. One stops at the fulfillment of what's needed done, and one's stopping just because it's too hard to keep going. When you think of the story of Nehemiah, he faced opposition that escalated, but he didn't quit. He could have easily checked out or cashed out. We live in that area just where, man, our communities are broken, our schools are broken. Man, your home may be jacked up too. Are you willing to pray, lean in? And just like Nehemiah prayed for four months until God opened the door for him to take a next step, are we willing to pray and lean in until God opens that door for us to take a next step? So kind of who, what, or where is God breaking your heart for? And are you going to commit to leaning in and to praying? And then the third top point is Nehemiah responded with perseverance. Nehemiah saw God's hand at work And it started with him finding favor as a cupbearer and then continued um, as the king provided not just what he requested, but even more, right? We heard that a little bit ago. But along the path, he faced opposition. And it faced it both internally and externally. And I gotta believe you guys face opposition today too, right? Ridicule. We saw that, we saw first of all that people didn't like what he was doing, so they murmured about it. And then they started to ridicule him. You know, ridicule is, what, is an old person's word for making fun of them. Where do, you, where do you see people ridiculing you or making fun of you or talking down on you? Is it, in your, is it in your school? Maybe on your team that you play on? Is it here? I don't know. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe, you're, maybe your parents just aren't edifiers, right? There's nothing you can do. Everything you do is wrong or not good enough. You know, if you get an A, why not an A plus? Or, or, or a C, why not a B? Just like Nehemiah, we have a chance to respond to ridicule rather than to react to ridicule. And then they moved on to threats and moved on to where they were going to engage him. And then they moved into something even harder, which is kind of more of a covert warfare, right? They started to hire people on his side of the fence, on his team, to try to take him off track. But then I think equally or maybe sometimes even tougher for us is when we see opposition internally, right? Right? When they were starting to build the wall, they saw a couple nobles, or some of the nobles wouldn't help out. And what's it like when you want to do something, you feel God's called you, or you're feeling led to do something good for God, and yet maybe your friends aren't joining you on that. Or maybe your parents, or maybe somebody on your team, or at school isn't doing that, or if you're working, somebody there. Are you going to stop just because somebody's not doing it, even though maybe God's leading you that way? Or are you going to lean into it? And then the second part of that internal is just where Shemaiah came, and and he was the friendly voice that really had an alternative plan that wasn't to advance God's call in there. And so as we see that as Nehemiah progresses, so does the battle that wages against him progress. Did you hear that? As soon as you continue to move down and do more things and try to lean in in intimacy with God... The enemy doesn't like that. And so he's going to take shots at you. You know, I, I'm looking in the audience and I'm looking in the, the seats and I see, I see some faces of people that, that I know that when they started to move in to God's direction for their life, the enemy came at them in ways that didn't, they didn't expect. Might have came after their family, their kids, and that took them by surprise. But we, we can't be surprised he doesn't care one rip about you other than to take you down. And so we got to be ready for that. But again, Nehemiah couldn't do that if it didn't start off with his devotion and prayer. And the fourth thing is Nehemiah responded, by, responded sorry, by valuing and engaging community. Nehemiah led out of intimacy of God, but they built the wall with an army of people. He didn't do it by himself. He needed as many people, almost everybody on board. And so, what's the, what's the word picture that God wants us to learn out of that? The, you know, the people banded together to accomplish the task, but they stood in the gap to help each other out. And so, part of that question is, if we're going to live a victorious life in Christ, who are those brothers and sisters? Who are those friends? Who are those family members? Who are those coworkers or or, or classmates that are going to stand in the gap for us? You know, when you get older, you start to ask, who's that two o'clock in the morning friend? Who's that person you can call, whether it's inconvenient for them or convenient for them, and they're going to come. They're going to drop whatever they need to do to be there for you. And so when we walk through this life with Christ, we need people to lift us up. When we're feeling down, who's going to literally stand in the gap? Who's going to lift our arms? Who's going to encourage us? Who's going to challenge us? Who's going to be our friend? Again, when we go to small group, when we go to breakout group, God placed the people in your group. That wasn't Todd and Lauren, you know, just spinning a wheel figuring out who goes there. They designed who goes in that, and they prayed about that. And many of them are, are, are other students that you go to school with or live in your area. And, man, I want you to, to think about, as you go to group, it's not about a social time. But, man, when, we, when we're walking down the halls, and I try to make a stand, I got to know that somebody's got my back because not everybody in the school's that way, I'm guessing. Does that make sense? Well, most talks about Nehemiah are about rebuilding the wall, and that's rightfully so. You know, quite honestly, if you think about it, if you read this, the walls were standing, the walls were torn down, they were, they were down to rubble, they had no value, all the gates were burned. And they were rebuilt. That's the story of Jesus. He's there to restore the broken pieces in our lives, right? You know, the fact that there's so many of you guys here in this setting, not because of me, because you had no idea who was speaking, because I'm guessing there's elements of brokenness in your lives. First of all, apart from Jesus, this is just a great story. But with Jesus, this is actually a story of transformation. From what was a, a, a city on a hill to a pile of rubble to being restored. And I think the the one thing that the enemy likes to try to come after us with is thinking that we could be too far, too gone, too destroyed, too broken down for Christ ever to accept us and restore us. And that's not the truth. The truth of the gospel is you're never too far. You're never too broken down. You're never too far away from God, from Jesus, to be able to restore that. But it's got to start with a relationship with him. But here's the thing I want to talk about for a minute. Walls are static, right? These walls don't move. The walls are around here. And once they're up, they require little maintenance. You paint them. You make sure that there's no holes in them. And you put some guards around there. But you don't have to do much to walls. In a few minutes, checking my time here. I want to focus on the gates. You know, gates, we think of gates, they're really doors in our context. And those doors provide both ingress, meaning you can get in, and egress, meaning you can get out. Okay? They let things in and they let things out. Good things in, bad things in. Good things out, bad things out. Right? They also provide opportunity for us to enter into environments outside there. They require us to manage the gates and control the access and to secure them at st- strategic times. We heard um, earlier in the story that Nehemiah said, hey, listen, you can't open these gates and close them to certain times." So in chapter 7, verse 3, he says, I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. And also uh, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at the post and some at their homes. Basically, he's saying, we got to guard these gates. And for us, they shut them at night because guess what? not a whole lot of good happens when it's 2 o'clock in the morning and it's dark out, right? I mean, let's be realistic. That's when you've got to make sure that we shut those gates. And even though the wall's completed, they still have to guard the gates. And, and here's, here's kind of a theme of the whole thing. It's, either, it's easier to guard your gates than to rebuild your walls. Would you agree with that? It's easier to guard your gates than to rebuild the walls. So the question is that we... The reality of, of this little bit of this message is how are we doing managing, how are we doing gardening, how are we doing maintaining the gates of our lives? Those aren't the gates. For some of us, the gates of relationship, right? Some of us, it's the, it's the environments that we hang out. Some of us, it's what you're looking at in your hand right now. The gates are your phones or your computers or your iPads, when was the last time you took inventory of the gates? We, we saw in, in chapter 2, verse 12, that Nehemiah went out at night. He inspected the walls. He went and assessed the situation around Jerusalem. What would happen... Guys, listen to me for a second, because this is the important part, honestly. What would happen if Nehemiah came and inspected the gates of your life, of my life? What if he came and looked at your phones or your computers would he see gaps in the history, in your search history, where we've tried to maybe delete that so mom or dad or or friends don't see it? Would he see, would he see, when he looked at your relationships, would he see rubble? Would he see stones torn down, burnt? Or would he see strong structures, right, that were maintaining those areas? You know, I said we only had just a few minutes to talk about this and I'm running out of time but as I've studied this and read through this for the past couple three, four weeks now um, I would say from a transparency standpoint, honestly um, this message has has wrecked me more than it will ever wreck you Um, as I look at the areas of, of pride, the areas of pleasure the areas of power in my life I've seen some areas where I need to maintain some gates of my life and so Lastly, I would just ask you, as you think about this, as you hear it, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to allow yourself, as Nehemiah was, to be broken for people that are outside you? Maybe, again, it might be your community, it might be your school, it might be where you hang out, whether it's your sports team or work or wherever. Who are those people that God's leading you towards? And in the past, you kind of be nose blind to them. But then now you start to think, God, what do you want me to do about it? Second thing, are you willing to pray and fast? Are you really willing to lean in and pray? You know, there's that whole acronym, PUSH, right? Pray until something happens. Are you willing to pray, not just once, not just once a week, but pray daily? God, show me what you want me to do. Help me understand, what's your will for this? And then, are you willing to take action like Nehemiah did? God revealed to him, he wanted him to build the wall. He provided him toll gates along the way, and then... The enemy came after him. So are we willing to persevere, even when we're trying to be sidetracked? Not when we're trying to, but when the enemy wants to sidetrack us. Are we willing to lean into that? Students, you guys are getting ready. Some of you are seniors, some of you are freshmen, and then, oh, everywhere in between. You guys got a whole life ahead of you. Man, we could parade people up on this stage all night long, people that grew up not having a relationship with Christ, not allowing God to direct their path. And then in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and maybe sometimes even older, that's finally when they came to faith and trust in Christ. And if they were to be up here and be honest with you, they would say, man, don't make those same mistakes I did. And you guys have a chance, and it's never too late. Now's the time to start. So let me pray, and we're going to pack things up in here. So Father God, I just thank you um, just for the chance to share, and God, we just ask that... uh, that your word would penetrate hearts, God, that your Holy Spirit would be at work. And God, if there's any student here that that doesn't even know you, man, would they talk to their small group leader? Would they stay after and even have a touch base with me? We'd love to just be able to show them out of your word what it means to be free in Christ. So God, we just thank you for the opportunity to, to open your word. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.